Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It is May 9th, 2021, Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I'm guessing there are absolutely none in our audience, (laughs) except for one. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Nick, I have been fermenting on this draft and vacillating between... Not depression. Actually, is, am I too hopeful? Am I too happy about what we got? Right. Or am I sort of lining up the facts to meet my hope? Because the more I think about it, the more we talk about it, I think this could be a great year. And I'm especially encouraged by the fact the Steelers are long odds to be third in the AFC North. I'm I'm excited about it as well. I think we will give our more in-depth opinions later in the show you and i talked about it you get a week to marinate on it Uh, i still stand by what i said right after the draft happened it's a semi-arrogant draft assuming that you know the line's going to be much better than last year um given all the improvements they're making whether that's adding a couple players albeit young ones changing a scheme and changing the attitude so uh, I, i admit that and i also admit that five years from now we're gonna be having the discussion with Najee harris that you're you know He's, you're going to be letting him walk or whatever it is. But the last thing I stand by that we said last week was it just feels like they got a lot of good players. And I know that's a general comment. Every player in the draft could be perceived as a good player, but they have a lot of proven good players. There's a theme that runs through all of them that I sort of noticed over the course of this week that we'll talk about later. But um, there weren't any Terrell Edmonds. Artie Burns reaches. I mean, I told you how furious I was when they drafted Mason Rudolph and Josh Dobbs in the third and fourth round during years where they were making Super Bowl runs and they could have used some damn starters during that time. There weren't really any of those this year. So I am with you. Like, There's a lot to be excited about this crop of players. Speaking of which, later on in the episode, we are going to get into some of the mid-round picks. But before that, we have some news. And you mentioned Terrell Edmonds. He's one guy we're going to mention we also are going to talk about um, some insider information. No, maybe it's outsider since we heard the interview uh, yeah. having to do with Ben and maybe verifying some suspicions we had had all along about him. Regarding play calling, play calling. Let's, let's uh, be specific there. Yeah, but the, the verbiage was uh, leading to some other <laughs> incidents I don't really think belong in this I was podcast. supposed to tease that out and let people hang on until we get to that topic.
and we're talking about 2021 being hopeful 2022 portends to be maybe even more hopeful for a different reason but we'll get to that and there were a couple interviews that may have belied some of common thinking about drafting running backs in the first round we'll get to so you want to talk about Terrell and the fact that the Steelers declined to exercise his fifth year option does that mean we're done with Terrell it is perplexing why did they not pick up Terrell Edmonds fifth year option so I mentioned earlier I was happy that the Steelers did not draft a Terrell Edmonds this year and I didn't mean that Terrell Edmonds is a total scrub. I just meant that he was a universally regarded massive reach as a first-round prospect. But if you had gotten him in the third round or maybe even at the end of the second round, you could have stomached it or maybe even loved the pick. And because look at him now, he's turned into a serviceable starting strong safety. He will never have an interception for the rest of his career. I'm going to try and jinx that into existence. He's not a guy who can take the ball away. He's not a guy who makes big plays in the pass game. He doesn't make big tackles for a loss. He doesn't do anything a first-round safety should do. But he does a lot of other things well, and he resembles uh, Bud Dupree in the sense that, oh, he's, he's improved a little bit every single year, and now he's become a guy who is an extremely sure tackler in the short and intermediate areas, which is great for your strong safety. He did make a couple plays in the end zone when he had to guard his guy. Yeah, he was flailing around last year, but the years before that, he would have just completely whiffed and they would have scored touchdowns. So what I'm saying is, like, you're not going to have 11 all-pros on the defense, even though the Steelers – kind of got close to that last year but you're so you're gonna have to have guys who are just starters and Edmonds is really great in his position right so from that angle he's not a bust he's been a good player for them and reason stands to hold if reason stands to hold he should be even a little bit better next year so I am very confused why they declined to exercise his fifth-year option, particularly when you realize, like, he's probably even further along than where Bud was when they exercised his fifth-year option. And Kevin Colbert came out and said that it was purely salary cap-related. And I, I guess they're really having to be tight with the budget given their crazy cap concerns. What do you think? Well... I actually thought Bud had more of a logarithmic increase in, in his productivity compared to Terrell. So in a way, you know, is Terrell sort of capped out on what he's going to be for the Steelers? Is he going to be a B player? That's I mean, he's point. not going to become what Bud became at the end. So it's one reason maybe you don't uh, exercise the fifth-year option. I have a hard time believing this is cap-related because the cap is going to explode next year, and he's not going to make that much. What I think has happened is... His 50-year option would cost $6.7 million. And at that point, you will have set the, the floor for negotiations. And maybe what they're looking for is, look, 2021 is a prove-it year for Terrell. And depending on how he does, assuming you know they'd still want to keep him, whether he had an average year or an above-average year, we're not going to start at $6.7 million. We're going to start talking at $5 million. That's where negotiations will start from. That's a great so maybe point. it has to do and with honestly, that. What I said about Terrell Edmonds being a serviceable starting safety, you should be able to get that on a rookie contract. Like a second or third round rookie within the next few years should be able to provide you the same things, maybe even better. So I kind of like it from the team building standpoint, especially if they're predicting, well, obviously they're going to need to sign 
uh, TJ Watt, but there are stars all over this roster on their first contract, like we've mentioned, and they're at big money positions. I mean, there's two potential star receivers who are going to have to be receivers get paid a lot. There's a star defensive end or, you know, edge rusher you're going to have to pay. There's obviously the free safety Minka, who's going to be the highest paid safety. You got to assume. So you only have so much, uh, you know, cap resources to put into a player. And I, and I agree with you. You can't start the floor at 6.5 million or 6 million or whatever it is with the guy who's really more like an NFL average above average guy. You should be able to draft and replace in that instance, unless you can get a great deal on the guy. So leave it to a dirty bird to whisper in our ear to verify something that was suspected all along about Ben and his play calling. Marlon Humphrey. Okay. So Marlon Humphrey was on Adam Lefko's podcast, Awesome Football Podcast. And they talked for 45 minutes to like an hour, just one-on-one having conversation about playing for the Ravens, uh, what Marlon Humphrey does in his off time, so on and so forth. And I'm a little pissed off at Adam Lefko for making me like another Raven because Marlon Humphrey is just a phenomenal guy. <laughs> he's really smart, really well-rounded. Obviously, he's unreal at football. If you guys remember, this is the man that punched the ball out of Juju's hands to lose the game for the Steelers two years ago. Um, I guess, I don't know if it was Mason or Duck. I think it was Mason who was starting that game. Um, but yeah, big-time playmaker, Marlon Humphrey. Well, Lefko asked him, hey, man, how excited are you to get fans back in the stands? And Humphrey says, yeah, it's going to be amazing. It sucks playing for no fans. I mean, you do not get that burst of energy. It's just not the same thing. But I think it's a little bit more of an advantage for the defense at times to not have fans in the stands because you can hear what people are saying. More specifically, he goes into what he heard Ben saying. He said, Big Ben, I could not believe this. I thought that he must have been pulling a smokescreen on us. I thought this must have been a trick, but it was not. Ben was literally calling out the routes to the receivers at the line of scrimmage. He was saying, hey, you run run a corner. Juju, Juju, run a deep out. No, no, run it at eight yards. Run it at eight yards. He was telling them what they're doing, and I'm looking around to Marcus Peters, and I'm saying, is this real? Is this happening? And Ben actually never threw to my side uh, when he was calling out plays to guys, but he was telling me exactly what my guy was running. And I was thinking, well, this shouldn't be too hard. And I sit here with you, Dad, and just say, there's a lot of reasons to believe that the Steelers could be better this year, and not telling the opponents the plays could be towards the top of the list. Everybody here who's an old-time listener knows my adoration for Big Ben, the greatest athlete in the history of American, nay, uh, human being sports of all time. But I also will admit his shortcomings when they come up, and this is so on brand for Ben. Nah, I don't want to study. Why don't we just make it up? But they can hear you. Who cares? And that's the second part. So how dumb do you have to be to tell the other team the plays and how good do you have to be for it to work? Because they won that game when Ben was telling the team the plays. So just revere this time, right, that we have with Ben. I mean, that is just obscene that he did that. And by the way, it's confirmed because after that game was the famous uh, argument over the quote-unquote drawing plays up in the dirt. Ben said, no, we were literally just getting up there and, and calling out plays at the line of scrimmage. Well, apparently it was at face value telling the defense what the play was. I did buy the fact that, or the, the 
contention that he was drawing up plays in the derp. I just assumed it was happening in the huddle. That is hilarious. That is the, I don't know, a quintessential confident quarterback. That is the ultimate and maybe final gunslinger as he flicked the Marlboro from his lips as he approached the line We're going to laugh at it to not cry about it, but this offense is so bumbling. And that's, and I do think, you know, like I said, I'm the big, I'm a Ben Roethlisberger historian. I've seen every snap of the man's career. I have written and rewritten his Hall of Fame speech numerous times while working at day jobs on the clock. Okay. But there are some people who want to deny there, there's some buddy, buddy thing going on and, and the hiring of Randy Feetner. Oh no, it wasn't just cause it was Ben's guy. It was directly because it was just Ben's guy. Okay. And it does seem like there are some major things that Tomlin gets blamed for that are really Ben, you know, and I don't look at it as Ben against Tomlin. I look at it as a group. It's Colbert, Tomlin and Ben, and they're all unbelievable at certain things like drafting wide receivers, and Tomlin relating and motivating players and, and developing a player like a Bud Dupree who never could have been a guy like that. Ben Roethlisberger, unbelievable at throwing the damn ball. When he gets hot, nobody gets hotter. Even Aaron Rodgers, nobody gets hotter than Ben Roethlisberger. And they're all really bad at some things. How about drafting defensive backs? or using your timeouts, or not studying defenses, or putting any effort into football outside of the, the practice field whatsoever. And I'm slightly exaggerating with that with Ben because we know he's, he's upticked that in recent years, but let's be real. If he put in the time that some of the other legends in his class put in, he'd be the best of all of them. Because when you can go up there without working out and you tell the defense the plays in the NFL and it's the friggin' Ravens who are insanely talented and you still beat them, you're the man. It does make you wonder, though, if he would have played within the system and had an offensive coordinator with some gravitas, the the ability to plan and to change your plan on on the flight, that needs to take, I think it needs to take place from the sideline, a little more objectivity, a guy from the box who can radio into the offensive coordinator and you can make, uh, you can pivot when necessary. When you're in the middle of the battle, are you the best guy to be making the calls other than, you know, your errant audible? Well, I think that he has an amazing feel for the game. That's the whole Ben. Ben is a three-point shooter. Like, that's why if you let him run hurry up, that's his best time. When he's not thinking, (laughs) don't let him think. That's the key. And that's when he does the best, when he gets a high volume of passes. I know last year, last year's an aberration because it was weird because it was this high volume of passes but the short passing thing. But traditionally, he's like Jerome Bettis was when he ran the ball. The more attempts he gets, the better he is. And I remember back in 2016, I believe, when the Steelers became a power running team over the second half of the season with Le'Veon Bell. Offense was sputtering the first half. Second half of the season, Lev gets 30 touches a game, and they are blowing teams out. I think they went, what, 9-1. and one. Le'Veon Bell broke the playoff rushing record for the Steelers in the first game of the playoffs against the Bengals or against the uh, Dolphins. Then the next week, he broke that record versus the Chiefs. And long story short, it was a running team. And Ben was not great. I remember the snow game in Buffalo where Le'Veon had over 300 all-purpose yards, but Ben kept throwing red zone interceptions. They should have blown the Bills out that day, but Ben doesn't do well when he has to sit there and think and get cold. Like, okay, it is hard to play when you have to hand the ball off a lot and then, hey, here's your one chance. It's third and six. We need you to just throw a strike without having thrown in the past, you know, six minutes. He's not as good with that kind of offense. That is what makes me a little bit nervous about this year is that 
he needs to go to that. And I hope that this, uh, just to wrap up this Marlon Humphrey story here, I hope they move on from what they did last year a little bit and that he has the humility to copy his idol, John Elway, and realize, like, hey, I can pull a Tom Brady. It should be a run-first team, Tampa Bay, right, that wins with their defense and then big opportunistic plays by the offense. But I think a reason why we haven't seen much play action, it's hard for me to, to point at anything except for Ben and, and, and the abysmal uh, playoff or play action usage rate as far as that goes. And this is just a little bit more confirmation that some of our suspicions are, are probably correct. Sports, culture, takes. Take Line has it all. Take Line is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner Jason Concepcion and former WNBA champ Renee Montgomery that's focused and fast-paced, exploring the NBA and the world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee talk about the games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Locker Room. Locker Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, and it's better than Twitter, and it's better than sports radio, even though it sounds like it's sports radio. Why is it not sports radio? Well, it's because you can interact with other fans. You can interact with athletes, influencers, if you will, or insiders even in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, basically everything you're doing with Twitter without the extra stuff seeping in there. Like, look, Twitter, I'm not trying to have a philosophical discussion. I'm trying to melt my brain with an overabundance of football. Locker Room's going to let you do that. All you need to do is download the Locker Room app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Locker Room, baby. Let's talk about the 2022 cap. As it stands, the Steelers stand first with cap room space of almost $75 million. The Indianapolis Colts follow at $68 million. The Steelers have one of the lowest number of players signed for that year. So there is a, a lot of opportunity, but a lot of, as you pointed out before, a lot of guys we have to sign. I think it's almost a hack argument or a hack conversation for, to touch on the 2022 cap space thing because a lot of fans or casuals, as you will, on Twitter and Instagram will post this picture of the 2022 cap space and show how high the Steelers are on there and kind of gloat about it when we know like, they're not going to be number one. They have to sign TJ Watt to $30 million a, a year. It's going to be massive. They have Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, they, they have so many players who they are going to need to sign to long-term deals that don't dream of the Steelers going out there and be, being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and making a ton of um, signings. But what I take it as is, hey, they're finally not going to be in the bottom three of, of salary cap. So that's what's encouraging about it. But... There is one interesting turn that I just wanted to mention today because we've mentioned it before. I don't want to go into this. We have other stuff to talk about today. But you do realize that they will actually have some flexibility with the cap after this year. And we've mentioned on all of these episodes recently, they have a crazy amount of young talent. It is a weird team in transition, mostly just because Ben, the star quarterback is so old, but the rest of the, t and the, and the line kind of graduated and they're in the process of reforming that line. People are pissed off that they didn't reform the line in one year. 
But like I said, let's let's take a look at how Moore does. Dotson and Green, do, do Chooks or Banner take a step? Well, look, the odds of them all being really good in 2021, those are long odds. But the odds of none of them taking a step forward, I'd say those are long odds as well. So get back to me after the 2022 draft if you put another high pick in the offensive line. And what I'm trying to say is there's reason to believe the offensive line could be back in business within a, a couple years here as well. And so when you look at all those pieces and you say, hey, if Ben's going to retire particularly, where are you at with the Super Bowl? And then you get the final cornerstone. Cornerstone, dad, that you and I have talked about on this podcast and people said was hyper unrealistic. I have said the entire time this is not unrealistic. There's Just connect the dots. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are going to be available next year. They're going to be available. They hate their teams. They've had public feuds with them. They couldn't get the exodus going this offseason, but popular opinion is saying, like, yeah, by next year, especially with the contract situations of the two guys, let alone the social uh, uproar, like they're going to be out of those cities. And Steelers could have a Super Bowl-ready team and the cap space available to sign one of these guys and be back in a Super Bowl window almost instantly. And I think that if they don't get them, they're going to be looking at a Teddy Bridgewater type of uh, purgatory, which would be hell on earth, and I would take a year off from the Steelers if I was forced to watch that. But it is interesting. I just want to keep everybody aware of this because you could make the argument that this is three steps ahead. It's really not. There's only so many teams who a quarterback like that would want to go to, and it's Super Bowl window teams with the cap space and the team, like, and the team in place. So it is very intriguing. I wonder what the odds of that is, and I'm not setting up the bet online commercial at this point. That's really contingent on Ben, isn't it? Because right now, Ben is $35 million dead cap hit if he left today. Next year, he still will count against the cap when he's away from the if – he, if he's off the team, he'll still count $10 million. So next year, without signing anybody else, Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt make up about 15% of the cap. You have – I think I, I reported, so $75 million cap space with a very small increase in the total cap. That that presupposes that the cap is about 190. I think it's going to be north of 200. So the cap might be even oh, yeah. more than $75 million. The, you know Depending on which website you're looking at, they estimate TJ Watt at $25 million in an annual, yeah. annual salary. So Surely. yeah, he, he'll soak up a third of that. Who else do you have to sign next year? Off the top of my head, I, 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 you know, I know DeCastro's up, but I don't even know if they would sign him at that point. There's other guys who they have to sign, but the bottom line is they could make it work. And, and this is – let's not get into the granular aspects now. We have plenty of offseason to talk about this. But I just want to call this shot a little bit because the first time we mentioned it, people were talking about this as unrealistic. And I'm just connecting the dots like – Okay, so where else is where else are they going to go? They're going to go to the Ravens, the Bengals, or the Browns with all their Heisman-winning star quarterbacks? No. Are they going to go to the Jets, who just drafted a quarterback? Nope. The Patriots, the Dolphins? Nope, nope, nope. Josh Allen and the Bill? Nope. Keep going down the list. There's only going to be a couple teams in the running for this, and the Steelers would be in an absolutely perfect situation. Obviously, the, Bran- the Broncos are going to be another one. The Broncos. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's just interesting to look at, and that's where my mind went with the 2022 cap space 
um, tweets that I was seeing out there. I was like, this is going to be in, it might not be first place signing every all-star that's out there, but there is some intrigue. And by the way, I don't think Ben's going to want to go. I think with his comments this past year, I want to win multiple Super Bowls. I uh, We'll have to see how this year goes, but it's hard for me to see him walking away if they make a playoff run this year. We spent a lot of time talking about drafting running backs in the first in the first round. This week, uh, Kevin Colbert had an interview with uh, Florio and disabused us of that uh, theory being used by the Steelers, obviously. Yeah, Colbert's a pro's pro. Florio got him on the show, throws all the bombs at him. Colbert deflects with ease. Um, Another nice thing about Florio is he does ask the questions. He's not scared to ask the questions of like he said, hey, look, very respectfully, there is an opinion out there shared by many people that drafting a running back in the first round is just not great business because of the value, so on and so forth. You can find a guy like this in the third, fourth round, so on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about it for feels like 14 hours worth of podcast material here. But Colbert just said point blank, yeah, we don't subscribe to that theory. Like, we don't devalue a position that way. First off, I was I had the pleasure of being on being a part of teams with two Hall of Fame running backs, and that's Jerome Bettis and Barry Sanders. And I don't think you'd find a soul in those buildings that said, oh, they don't wish that they had those guys. Those are first-round running backs, you know? I think that Le'Veon Bell, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of a different one. But he, Le'Veon came at a time after the Trent Richardson fallout where teams just did not want to draft them in the first round whatsoever. So he and Eddie Lacy were the first running backs taken. They were in the second round. So you could argue that he could have been a first-round guy. You look at Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. You go down the list, like, yeah, you can find some second-rounders. But long story short, Colbert is saying uh, – he, he didn't mention all those names. I'm kind of throwing those in there. But he just said, we think that Najee can help us win. And he just stood by the pick, and it was, uh, it was a good interview. It's worth taking a look at. PFTPM, Michael Florio with uh, Kevin Colbert. And it was cool to hear somebody ask him more point blank, um, especially a week after the draft, about the drafting a running back in the first round kind of theory there. Yeah, I, I get what Colbert's saying, but I think cherry-picking Sanders and Jerome Bettis is not appropriate for this argument because – different era, and how long did those guys end up lasting? You sort of looked back right. and, and retrofitted your theory. Right, like 10 years each, right? But uh, Although, yeah, that's pretty good. What, nine years for Barry? 10? I think he did 10 years. Uh, I think he's making the bigger point, though, cause, and I just kind of proved, disproved that, didn't I, with pointing out all the best running backs in the league and all their first-rounders? And you can mention, oh, Alvin Kamara. I'm like, okay, so name another great third-round running back. Nobody could think of it. Okay, so you're doing the Tom Brady, Antonio Brown argument now. You're giving me the outlier. The point is, like, the best running backs are the highest, are the round one guys. Just like the best tackles are the round one guys. And that's why people are mad that you didn't take <laughs> take a tackle in round one. I get his point. We've talked about, we've given our point a number of times on Najee and, and drafting the running back round one. It's a massive gamble to try and win a Super Bowl within a five-year window. So this was the week for Florida interview all the steel. I guess he's going to run through the roster. He talked to Juju as well, Juju's who said he said he found free agency a lot more stressful than the draft. Yeah, he's also sort of confirmed a lot of what we were thinking. I mean, my opinion with Juju is I know the organization loves him. I said this the whole year. We were talking about this, Dad, on the podcast. A lot, a lot of people, not just me. I'm not trying to give myself credit for it, but um, this is the kind of guy that does not get away from the Steelers. 
you know, they sign these guys. And if you remember with Bell and Brown, Brown is a complete weird oddball case, right? But they were never going to get him, let him out of Pittsburgh no matter what happened unless this, the volcano incident. And Bell, they threw crap loads of money at the guy. They wanted to keep him despite what the conventional wisdom has said. Juju is definitely one of those guys. This is a extremely high-performing uh he's a stat machine for those people who even complain about that but uh incredibly reliable and durable player who also is super tough such a stealer mold kind of guy they hate letting the stealer mold guys go i mean this is a killer blocking receiver in addition to all the 95 yard touchdowns he has and back shoulder grabs and so on and so forth but he's also a leader uh, which is weird because I think a lot of people think of him as the irresponsible kid, and he definitely has some cleaning up to do with that. Florio asked him about the Browns as the Browns thing. He didn't take it back, but he acknowledges he has to learn from the dancing on the logo stuff and these incidents, whatever. Um, but the Steelers don't want to let a guy like this go um, because he just embodies the, the whole brand that way, and he's an important leader, even if it's just by example. But Juju basically said... Like, it was a weird cap year. Okay, I'm just going to paraphrase it. He stayed with the Steelers because he wanted to stay with what he knows so he can test free agency again next year. He didn't want to go to Kansas City or Baltimore just because he didn't know it. He likes that Ben is in Pittsburgh. We know that Ben adores him. He loves Juju. He's been begging for him to stay on the team. He made the stupid comment about wishing he could throw the ball to Juju every play when he and A.B. were bickering. He loves Ben. So I can definitely see why Juju was like, yeah, I'm staying with this guy. He throws the ball to me all the time, even though he's only throwing it to him two yards past the line of scrimmage. That's a little weird. But long story short, Juju's staying in Pittsburgh to stay with what he knows and then test free agency again in a year. And I said the thing earlier about the Steelers wanting to keep him because – I personally would think this is Juju's last year in Pittsburgh. Like, you let him go, and if Claypool and Deontay take the steps they should take, you keep those guys instead. But I don't know if they will because this is a Tomlin guy. He called Juju, allegedly, to ask about the Najee pick or something like that, right? Saw some reports. So that's interesting, but I, I, it's just nice hearing from the, uh, from the source what was going on there. And Kevin Colbert in his Florio interview also echoed it. He said uh, when Florio asked him, were you shocked that you got to retain Juju? He said, well, we knew that it was going to be a highly depressed market for free agents this year so that there was a chance. We told them, hey, go explore whatever you can get, but just keep us in the loop because we'd like to make an offer if we can. What are the odds that Juju's with us next year? The odds that Juju's with the Steelers in 2022, those might be some long odds, but I'd be willing to take them, and I'd take them at Bet Online. Listen, this is the place where you can get all the latest news, odds and info for all of your sporting needs including the mlb the nba and the nhl where the pittsburgh penguins got first place roaring into the playoffs first place in the east division all right so why don't you go play some bets on sid the kid and he won't do you wrong don't sit on the sidelines anymore this is your chance to get into the game bet online Ching, your online sportsbook experts it's Mother's Day. You should be grilling outside, and you, frankly, should be grilling a Kansas City steak. Well, it's too late to do it for Mother's Day, so plan ahead. You need to get your Kansas City steak for Father's Day. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with the code SD. Steelers dominate at the checkout. 
From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to American-style Kobe, hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up that grill. You're going to need some charcoal, too. They make it so easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is flash-frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Imagine relaxing in your backyard with a family while enjoying a steakhouse-quality meal from Kansas City Steaks. Their butter-tender filet mignon, Kansas City strips, juicy steak burgers, and all-beef jumbo hot dogs, and even complete meal combos. Bring the steakhouse to your house this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, SD. All right, why don't we move into, uh, let's let's dive a little deeper into some of these mid-round picks. I know we had a little feedback about Dan Moore Jr. this week. Yes, we got a tweet from Jordan. Shout out to Jordan, at JP underscore Lokelife, L-O-C. L-I-F-E. Regarding Dan Moore, I wanted to address that. He was saying we sold him a little bit short on the podcast last week, and I do agree with that, and I'd like to get uh, a little bit more in-depth on what we think of of Dan Moore, especially as the uh, the uh, ever-sought-after tackle who didn't arrive to the fourth round. So we got to talk about him. But first, I wanted to give some overarching thoughts on this draft class now that we've had a week away from the event itself. And I was kind of surprised to see such a strong theme pop up. We all know the Steelers have a mold for draft picks. We know that Najee Harris broke that mold because they generally do not like taking seniors in the first round. They like taking an underclassman from a Power 5 school who's younger, so on and so forth. Well, Najee's from a Power 5 school, but he is older, which implies you know there's not as much athletic upside for growth there. Um, but I guess do you really care because you've got the guy for five years? But uh, so that broke the mold. But other than that, I like there's a through line with this draft class. The Steelers took players with a ton of experience. They took they always like taking team captains, but it seems like they took more than ever this year. And they took a lot of guys with crazy charisma and leadership. Now, once again, I think you could you could say, oh, anybody would postulate that about their draft class. These are all the best players from their high school teams, the best player from their college teams. They got charisma, they got leadership. But no, this was this is particular. Najee Harris is one of the more famously charismatic college players of the last few years. I mean, maybe we can do this next week, but there are in-depth stories about his upbringing and how he grew up at times homeless with his mom and his brothers and sisters and the kind of things that he went through to get where he is today. And he's just well-spoken, frequently speaking kind of guy with a big, gigantic personality who a lot of people love to follow. Pat Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State, taken in the second round, I believe he was the the first-ever sophomore captain at Penn State, basically the most legendary football program we have outside of Notre Dame, right? So that's, that's a major leadership role. Both of these guys have interviews, so weird, where, um, the interviews were about to stop. Uh, this was separate times in the year. And Najee said, hey, here's one of the guys that used to cover me in high school. You mind giving him a question? Fryermuth, same thing. Interview's about to stop. He said, hey, I actually got an a interviewer who used to interview me in high school. Would you mind letting him get one more? Like, just weird through lines uh, along that. And then obviously Kendrick Green might be the most badass charisma man of all of them. He, as a an uncanny 
resemblance to Marquise Pouncey in personality. Uh, just very fiery, very confident, talkative, speaks well, and uh, it, it is noticeable. And then he plays with the mean streak. There's so many clips of him just, just finishing people and ripping their esophagus out, okay? An extra level of aggression that you can really notice. You know, DeCastro, absolute technician, beast, but he wasn't that kind of guy coming out. So, oh, this is a good offensive lineman. But some of them have that mean streak. Well, that's what Kendrick Green has. Dan Moore and Buddy Johnson from Texas A&M. Buddy Johnson talked about Dan Moore saying, hey, this guy helped me a lot this year. It was a very difficult time getting through this COVID season. It was very stressful. And Dan Moore was one of the leaders on the team. You know, four-year player there, uh, 35 games straight started, and he really helped us get through a lot of this stuff. And, um, yeah, so just a lot of these dudes are significant leaders. Then you take the damn punter, Presley Harvin. We know his charisma and we know his fame. What an interesting guy to add to the mix. And then the last thing I'll say about it is that a lot of these guys actually know each other. Obviously, Dan Moore and Buddy Johnson went to the same school and they played together, but Moore also worked out with this fellow lineman, Kendrick Green, and Buddy Johnson worked out with Najee Harris. So a bunch of these guys actually come in knowing each other already. So there's kind of a sense of camaraderie there that I haven't really seen in other draft classes. And then just such a major emphasis on the leadership. I don't know if that was intentional by the Steelers. We know they always look for that. Was it intentional for this COVID year? Was it intentional because, hey, we think we have a Super Bowl team, so we need guys who are mature and ready to go right now? Or was it just, hey, the this was the luck of the draw for this year, but I, I don't know about you, Deb, but those themes seemed pretty obvious to me when I looked through the draft class again. Last week when we stepped back and I looked at the draft, you know, the year these guys were, I, I made the comment to you, I mean, none of these guys is less than, a, there's one guy who's a true junior and that's Firemouth. And the rest of these guys are seniors or redshirt juniors. That sort of belies uh, the history of trying to go for underclassmen. But uh, you can't, I, I personally can't feel anything but excited. I mean, when you talk about these offensive linemen and of course, this is just projecting right. and no, nobody's paying us so we can project and be wrong. But if you think about the offensive line, Two years from now, yeah, especially as if it's true that Adrian Clem is moving towards to this zone with, blocking scheme, like we referenced earlier, you have you these guys that guy. are sort of tailor and made for that scheme. It's very exciting, and you've got. So, and we talked about this. I mean, this that I whole line is, is just youthful. They could last year, for a decade. Assume somebody's going to step up their level of play. Hopefully, Dotson, you know, is what everybody has been predicting him to be. Hopefully, he continues off of that amazing rookie year. And then you're in a really good position because like we've seen before, as long as you have a good coach, Clem remains to be seen. I will say his charisma and confidence is inspiring in the, in the press conferences and everything like that. But uh, if you just have like two all-stars, you can build the rest of the line. DeCastro and Pouncey stood there in the middle of that line, and at one point they had Marcus Gilbert, who was a real killer, for about a two-year stretch. But other than that, it was a revolving door at the tackles. You know, Beecham, uh, Finney playing guard uh, here and there and them never dropping off. Uh, Villanueva uh, upsetting. You know, I don't know if it was Hubbard or, or, yeah, it was Hubbard, I think, at that time. Chris Hubbard is another one. They were plugging and playing guys and rotating them in. Deca or 
Villanueva was a damn defensive lineman. As long as you can get some real studs making up the interior, you can build around that. And it looks like they're trying to get Marquise and DeCastro Jr. with Kendrick Green and um, Kevin Dotson. So, anyways, those are just some overall feelings. The last thing I'll say in the overall themes, eerie similarities to former players with Najee Harris, as we've said, ad nauseum. The similarities to Le'Veon Bell on the field and off the field are, it's kind of freaky. I mean, the same measurements, not the exact same running style, but very similar with the jump, heavily, heavily reliant on jump cuts and incredibly agile for backs of that size and fantastic receivers who can actually split out. Then they have big personalities, they're talkative off the field. And then Kendra Green, like we mentioned before, not only does he have a similar alpha personality to Pouncey, but his whole game is movement. It's athleticism and being able to pull, which was Marquise Pouncey's calling card. So it is pretty – when you look at the draft class – Oh, and by the way, Fryermuth, you don't want to call him Heath Miller, okay? But he could be, that's the kind of player he is. Heath had no long speed. He had enough speed to get up and down the field. It's a first round damn pick, right? But the thing about Heath was he was a great blocker and an incredibly reliable receiver. And I think that's the dream for Fryermuth uh, as he comes up through Pittsburgh to be that, hey, you're not going to be Kelsey. You're not going to be Kittle. We're not getting Kyle Pitts. But if you could be Dallas Clark, if you could be Heath Miller, like, that's what we want. So it really does seem like they got a lot of their type of guys in this draft. I think the pushback that we received about Dan Moore Jr. was our supposed consignment of him to a backup role this year. So what did what we both looked a ton into this trying to just discern where he would where he would fit in this year. What did you find out? Well, Adrian Clem, I think our buddy uh, Jordan on Twitter pointed out, hey, Adrian Clem said in his press conference that he has a shot to be the starting tackle this year. And a lot of coaches may say that, and it, that could be an easy assumption to make because you have two unproven tackles. Okay, Chuke started a whole year, but we're already talking about supplanting him, right? And then Banner never played a game in his NFL life and then gets in for a quarter and tears his ACL, right? Okay, so those are the kind of guys who could be supplanted, but – you don't just say that for no reason, especially about a fourth-round pick. So that does carry weight, that Clem said he is going, he could be a starter his, his rookie year. Now, I saw Nick Furbaugh, um, Steelers kind of beat guy, uh, Twitter personality, if you will. He was making some comments about uh, Dan Moore being a long-term prospect. And then Duke Mayweather, what a damn name, offensive line guru, Duke Mannyweather runs some company with Jeff Schwartz, famous NFL former lineman, Mitchell Schwartz's older brother, you know, the tackle for the Chiefs, who's currently maybe returning to the Chiefs, who knows. But uh, they run, like, offensive lineman camp, and they make videos, they, and they work with a lot of the top prospects. Well, Duke Mannyweather has worked with Dan Moore, and he responded to this tweet uh, by Nick Fairbaugh, basically saying, like, no, this guy is not raw. This is the th this guy is has above average technique. That's critical phrasing. And in a previous tweet, he had said when the Steelers drafted Dan Moore, clap clap clap, the Steelers just got their starting left tackle. So this guy, who's an offensive lineman expert, is very high on Dan Moore. I will point out the obvious that Dan Moore is a client of his. And so building up your clients 
is probably a good way to go. So I'm not taking this word as Bible, right? Especially when you're ringing an endorsement of him is, hey, this guy doesn't have bad technique. He has above average technique. Okay. It's not flawless, not excellent, not really good, above average technique. And that led me into some more research on Dan Moore. So here's the thing. He's got crazy experience. He started 35 games straight blocking for Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. And in addition to that, they played in a, like, he specializes with the zone blocking scheme. So like you said, he's going to be really good for what the Steelers are looking for. He fits that mold of zone blocking. He's also got super long arms or long arms, which is Sounds stupid, but it is critical for tackles. Like the quarterback hand size thing has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit because guys have found ways to grip the ball differently. But the long arms is something you want to check the box in with your starting tackle. So that's great. And then he had an excellent senior bowl, which is why we should have seen this coming. The Steelers are taking someone from the senior bowl every year. Those tend to be good players, right? And uh, also he trained with Kendrick Green. I had that down on my notes. We said that before. That's pretty cool. Now, here's the other things about Dan Moore. For a guy who has such crazy experience, you would think his technique would be uh, better than above average, right? Well, he still has room to grow with his technique. It's not bad. It's above average, as we've said. But he still has room to grow. So that's really encouraging because this guy is not at his ceiling yet despite being a senior. Now, his athleticism is fine, but it's not – he doesn't have a super high athletic ceiling. And that's not – you're just not going to be able to get drafted in the top few rounds if you don't have that super high ceiling. But that's okay for me because he's a scheme fit and he still has untapped potential from the technique standpoint. And from what a lot of other people have said, he might be able to add some more muscle, particularly in his lower half, to be able to anchor – better in the NFL. So like if a bull rusher is coming right at you, you got to be able to hold this guy off. You're going to have to block friggin' Miles Garrett, right? If you're going to start for the Steelers and he will run your ass over if you don't have some sand in the pants, as they say in the college bro scouting. Um, so you can definitely add strength in the NFL and you can definitely add technique. The athletic upside is like, okay, maybe he's not going to be the best tackle in the league, even like a Marcus Gilbert, a second-round guy. Wow, they only make so many people in the world with that type of uh, you know, physique. But it's a really exciting pick for sure. Will he start this year? I don't know. I love the fact that he's going to be able to get in the mix. I love the fact that they got a guy who can challenge Chooks and Banner who do not deserve to just be handed a starting spot. These guys need to prove themselves, right? So Dan Moore... Really exciting pick that way. Don't think he's a slam dunk to be a starter, but it looks like he'll be in the mix. And uh, it is exciting to see guys who maybe they're, they're around tapped athletically, but you can get in that NFL weight program and you can get some coaching and get that technique up, and that's just very encouraging stuff. And at least his body type has real NFL uh, beast written all over it. How cool is it to be going to the same team as your college teammate. That's like the new thing this year, right? They, they reunited Tua with Waddle. Uh, Etienne went with Trevor Lawrence. And now we got an even more high-profile duo and Dan Moore and Buddy Cowboy Collar Johnson at linebacker. So I just wanted to touch on Buddy Johnson. We talked about who do the Steelers need as an inside linebacker in this draft class. And I feel like we were one of the few people saying, 
oh my goodness, JOK from Notre Dame is so exciting, but I just don't see at all how he fits with the Steelers because he's not exactly an inside linebacker. He's more like a weird hybrid, like slot guy, strong safety, sometimes weak side linebacker, but you can't play him next to Devin Bush. You need a thumper. Well, that's basically what Buddy Johnson is, even though he's not as, as big as the traditional thumper. So, like, Buddy Johnson, in my mind, is a special team superstar, and they're hoping he can become a Vince Williams, right? He tested amazing, but he doesn't quite play like that on the field. And we've had a couple players like that through the years, although it does remind me of Chase Claypool a little bit where he said the testing's out of the roof, but I just didn't see him break a lot of 80-yard touchdowns for Notre Dame. And part of that was because of their quarterback was unable to get the ball to him. But uh, uh, other times people test really well, and they don't play like that on the field. And Buddy Johnson's issue is he just can't process. <laughs> I think Alex Kazora posted some videos of him, and it, it's pretty brutal how he gets stuck in the sand. Somebody runs a counterplay. He's still standing in the middle of the field saying, oh, when you get out of that backfield, I got you. Meanwhile, the entire team and the other team is running to the right sideline with the ball carrier, and he's standing there. Oh, if he cuts back, I'm – oh, damn it, he's to the right. Let me go. I got to go get him. So if, you know <laughs> – if you're going to be the in-the-box guy, you need to have phenomenal instincts. You need to be ready to blow people up. Now, the instincts are not there. The athleticism, okay, is there in the testing in the, in the year when they're not at the scouting combine. So think of that what you will. But the hyper-aggression is there. He's a murderer on special teams. He should be a day-one starter. And it's kind of nice to see what they're you know what they're doing i don't know what ulysses gilbert what the heck he if he can stay on the field that's one guy who's like oh my goodness the speed really shows up on tape this could be a coverage linebacker if he could put it all together buddy johnson is sort of the thumper equivalent of that even though he's smaller than a thumper and more athletic but i think they were looking for more that type of guy who could be somewhere in the middle but he's definitely a project but um you need those special team studs so that's what i'm excited about for him so far so I guess the guy that's getting the most criticism or the criticism the Steelers are receiving uh, for draft picks is Isaiah Loudermilk. Yeah, and I'm not going to go too in-depth with this guy. Like, they traded up for a bad edge player who was in the, like, what would you say, the one percentile of testing? Like, that means very bad. 99% of people are better than you. And guess what? They're moving him to an inside technique. Okay, so that's good. We'll see how that conversion works. We will always cite Villanueva as the glorious example of the, a converted player who really worked out. Uh, Chicolo, I think he was an edge coming out of high school, and then Miami turned him into a defensive lineman, and then Pittsburgh turned him back to an edge. So that's sort of another example of, like, I don't know if, how – was he a third-rounder or a fourth-rounder? I'd have to check because if he's a third-rounder, you sort of say it's a failure, right? But if he's a fourth-rounder, you say, oh, that was a depth guy for a few years and a special teams guy. So we'll see how ladder milk works. And you know what? I'll just go ahead and pair Trey Norwood with him, the cornerback. They're moving him to safety despite him barely playing any safety in college, like 200 out of, like, 1,500 snaps or something crazy like that. So it's a total question mark. I can't even tell you how this guy's going to go. We're just going to see can the Steelers finally develop secondary players. Has not been done yet. So, well, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking because the, the uh, Hilton and Sutton are the sort of, oh, maybe this is going forward kind of examples. But we'll see what happens with two players who are going to be moving positions. Uh, Chickalow was the sixth round pick. 
Am I a moron? How did I think a third or fourth round pick? I'm embarrassed. Scrub that from the record, people. Jeez. You know what's even? You know what's really Third cool about Chickalow? I, I must have been high when I said that. What was that? Of course, it wasn't a third-round pick. <laughs> you know, his father and grandfather were guards in the NFL. Makes sense. Big bones. So the the guy we thought or that has been represented as sort of maybe not a steal but underdrafted is Quincy Roche out of my edge out of Miami. Yep. That's exciting. I think that that pick sort of turned the interior fan base of the Steelers around on the draft. Like, oh, we got a steal. We got a guy that way. Uh, the Steelers have got a number of dudes like that. I think Highsmith and Hargrave were kind of, and Dotson were all regarded as steals, small school type of guys. So it's a little bit different. But I think we mentioned this the other day. Like, he's an end who played on a team with two first round def- like edge players right, in the University of Miami. So the thing with Roche is he is a technical beast. He's a monster with his technique, and he has massive production at Miami. He is not a – he's got some size and athleticism limitations. This is what slides you down the board. He himself was quoted as saying, I'm not a guy who's going to run a 4-3. I'm a technician and a football player, which I imagine he had to rehearse that line uh, to himself in bed every night after having to go to practice with uh, Rousseau and the, and Jalen Phillips every day. Like, can I do this? Am I a good football player? Well, you're just comparing yourself to two super freaks right there. But he's right. And this is, uh, I don't know, it's very encouraging to see a guy who's that far along in his technique and that aggressive and that much of a playmaker. Because as we've seen, you can't really teach playmaking, and the guy has it. So very exciting. And the most interesting pick of the draft – Yep. Presley Harvin the third. Two hundred sixty-three pounds. Rocket for a leg. Rocket for an arm. Even though we did look up the stats and he's only one for three on passes in college, but that's okay. Thirty-three percent for a punter, not bad. Okay. He also was the holder on field goals. We did confirm that. I don't know if we said that last week, Dad, but that also means he can fake it on field goals. Maybe Villanueva gets another touchdown. But um this c- okay. What? It gives the Steelers such flexibility now. Oh, yeah. Think of the possibility. Did you see that? So that article we read also said that um, Chris Boswell probably has the best arm on the team outside of the quarterbacks, and you never what? see him faking. Yeah, I'll send up the link to you. Send that to me. That's weird. He doesn't seem like he could throw it. Okay. What I would suggest is you guys go listen to Pat McAfee's show from, I think, like Wednesday or Thursday, where he talks about Presley Harvin because he breaks it down like a punter. Okay, so he said a couple things. Number one, it's awesome. Number two, this guy has an absolute rocket for a leg. He's seen him in person. He clearly has the NFL leg. There's no question about that. Number three, he's got to drop the weight. Like, it's just, there's no getting around it. McAfee's actually way bigger than you think. He's a 250 kind of guy himself, 240. Um, but he says, like, look, just your joint, he's going to find out. Your joints aren't going to be able to handle it. You have to. He's going to have to get a little bit lighter. I don't think that that should be too crazy of an issue with an NFL training program that way. But he said, "Look, I think that you know." He actually had some really awesome comments on Barry. I've never heard anybody talk about Jordan Barry, and then you get a an expert professional punter talking about him. He said, "I think the Steelers are going to be happy to get a guy who's consistent because Barry. I'll tell you this, without being hyperbolic, he might have like the best leg in the NFL." I mean, the guy can absolutely boom the thing. Just the problem is when he gets into games, he's pretty wildly inconsistent. 
And some of the guys, some of the cronies, some of the boys on Pat's show asked him, like, or it might have been A.J. Hawk, asked him, why, why does that happen? Why can they boom it so much and they can't do it in a game? It must be mental, right? And McAfee said, like, yeah, it's mental, but otherwise, like, it's your drop. It's the way that you drop the football, and that's what affects it kind of. Uh, go wonky in a game situation when you have a rush coming at you and so on and so forth. And I think Jordan Berry would do a lot better. Maybe he can get out of the AFC North where the weather isn't so bad, so on and so forth. And he can have a – it might be a better marriage for both people to move on. But Presley Harvin has a monster leg. There are a lot of monster legs on YouTube. Dude's trying to make it in the NFL. The difference is being able to do it in a game, which Presley Harvin has shown his ability to do. The NFL is a completely different beast because you have to select the 32 guys who can do it 100% of the time. Barry, not that guy, clearly. I mean, sometimes he can, sometimes he can't, and that's the issue. So I we've reiterated why we're so thrilled about this pick. Number one, football is supposed to be fun. We get a root for this guy. I mean, even if he loses the weight, even if he loses 40 pounds, I'm still calling him the tubby punter. Like, it's it's happening. You're always at a heart, okay? In a good way. I mean that in a complimentary way because this guy defies all logic. He's a, he's, he's a Roethlisberger. That's my favorite player. What are you going to do? But um, I love spending a resource on this. They've been wandering the desert with punters for 20 friggin' years, right? So very uh, looking forward to... Hopefully see him turn out well, but what a fun pick for them to make in the, in the end of the draft. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.